the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Welcome to another episode of our award-winning podcast. Now, when I say award-winning, I mean I have certainly awarded it as one of the best new up-and-coming podcasts out there. I haven't exactly technically gotten that accolade from anyone outside of my little podcast studio here, but I think it's a good start. You know, like if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you, right? So, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's go forward knowing that this is an award-winning podcast, and it is. Uh, it certainly will be. Uh, my name is Matt Browning, and this is the first episode of the week. This is, should be dropping to you on a Tuesday, so welcome to your week. For me, I'm recording this open as we get into, uh, it's Friday, so we're getting into the weekend, and I'm getting ready to go pick up my son from school, ready to go have a weekend where we don't have anything to do at all, which is awesome. Um, I'm looking at, you know, with how much is going on in life, family, our church, moving our house, doing a, a vacation to the UK for three weeks in the summer, all this stuff we got going on. And then, of course, there's a, a pretty busy speaking schedule as well. This is the only weekend, literally, that I have nothing going on until I think the end of the year almost. So I am looking forward to doing absolutely nothing. It's going to be so good. So, but you're not as curious about, I'm sure, my weekend as you're curious about your week. Your week, what you're learning, what you're doing, what you're feeding yourself with, right? What are you putting in your ears? What are you listening to? So this week, there is no exception to the value that I'm bringing and what we're cranking along. I have a someone who is becoming of a better and better friend. I met recently at a, a podcast conference, and I was so excited to meet this person. His name's Chris Kremitzos, and Chris is responsible for quite a few things, and I'm very, very, uh, I was interested just as, as a learner, as an entrepreneur, but also as, as a fellow producer of live events, uh, a fellow promoter and teacher and speaker, uh, we really, really had this cool bond of, you know, I've, I've produced uh, 200 plus multi-day live events, plus all the one days and, and evening events. So I've, I'm probably up to around 500 live events that I've produced in the last 12 years. Chris has produced well over a thousand events from conferences to concerts, to uh, uh, parties, to workshops and seminars, to summits. He's done it all. And, and I, I, I haven't met somebody who has produced that many events as the promoter and the producer of an event. So if you are in the business of putting on any kind of a live event or you, you would like to do that, you want to listen to Chris and some of the wisdom that comes out from, we talk about uh, some successes, some failures. Uh, I pick his brain as far, as far as like how we got into the business in the first place, how he made a transition from doing a live television show. He was doing a television show um, that was going national. He's had some of the clips from the blip in truth he did, or the bleep in truth, uh, that had made it to well over 200 different national television shows. Really, really uh, incredible story from there. He's also produced The Messenger's um, documentary. It's a podcast documentary. And that's available wherever you can find uh, movies on Amazon and everything. And he's the founder of PodFest. PodFest is one of the, the biggest up-and-coming summits and conferences for podcasting. Uh, he does it every year in Orlando, Florida, and I'm going to be at the next one coming up, I think, this uh, March 2019. So I'm stoked on hanging out and spending some time with Chris. 
and I'm working on pronouncing his last name. Mine's a little challenging, brawning, browning, brawning, how do you say that right? But Kremitzos, I'm getting it down better and better. So um, I'm excited for this interview. Enjoy our time, and I think you're going to learn a ton about a very, very unique, interesting fellow. Chris Kremitzos, everyone. So, dude, Chris, we're back. Man, I feel like uh, we were just sitting here, what, like a week ago, two weeks ago, um, jumping on your podcast, and it was a blast. It was fun. Um, I love interviews that we can just, I don't know, it's almost like just hanging out with a buddy, and, and I don't know you that well yet. I'm excited to know you more. Um, we, we met at uh, one of the co- podcast conference, um, what, a month ago, two months ago? Like not too- time flies, but yeah, I guess it's, it feels like a longer time because a lot of stuff has happened, I guess, but it's been only a couple months. Yeah. And, and, but instantly it was like, oh, what a good connection. And, uh, so it was exciting. So I came, I came on yours and, uh, I cannot wait to dive into that uh, amazing brain of yours. Um, we have so much in common, but without any further ado, uh, welcome to the podcast, Chris. How are you, man? Hey man, thanks for having me on. And yeah, you and I had a really phenomenal conversation. So I'm looking to have this as an extension of that. Yeah, why, why not? Why not? So, um, you know, in, in the open, you know, I told people you've done some pretty amazing stuff. The biggest thing I think that we have in common is how like we've produced so many events and, and just an incredible amount of events, uh, um, people drawing, you know, audiences, uh, speaking, doing that whole thing. But you, you've gone into, you've gone into film, you've gone into uh, multimedia, you produce a documentary. Uh, you're obviously huge in the podcast world, so it, it is. It's a real honor to uh, to be able to flip the tables and interview you um, and pull some wisdom out. Um, before we get too deep into all that stuff, um, I'd love to just I don't know get to know you a little better. So um, now, how old are you right now? Right now, thirty nine. Thirty nine. Dang, okay, so that's right. So I'm thirty eight. So we're uh, right in that in that same little bucket together. I'll be transitioning uh, to uh, the next step <laughs> in a couple months. <laughs> hey man, uh, a couple months. When's your birthday? September twenty third. Do you guys do you do anything special for uh, for birthdays in your family? You know, you're gonna laugh uh, because I I do a lot of events. I used to use my birthdays to do experimental events because I figured people wouldn't kill me if I tried a different concept and I would say, hey, come celebrate my birthday and we're doing a Friars Roast or come celebrate my birthday and we're doing uh, a member drive. So <laughs> I've used my birthday to experiment <laughs> on different events. That is so, are you, are you married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a beautiful wife, Katie. Uh, she's from, originally from Arizona, but we both live in Florida now. Nice. Now, did you use your wedding? Because that's, that's the real hallmark of a producer is, uh, you know, a production I, person. Let's put it Can this way. Your wedding? Not, not, for, not for business events, but I did to use my people. wedding to, uh, no, we didn't have a problem. We had a lot of people. We actually had to limit it because it was in the Florida Keys. And um, what we did, though, was we went on YouTube and I crowdsourced ideas off of different videos. And people were like, you guys orchestrated that so amazing. How did you figure it out? And it was like, we just, I just went on YouTube and checked out different ideas at work when you're on a tropical vacation and it was, we had a phenomenal time. It was just a, a lot of fun. They do that. That's awesome. I tell you, um, sometimes, sometimes I'll joke around, especially like in the industry, you know, we're like, um, my, uh, my producer, Justin, who just, uh, he does all the podcast, uh, shout out to Justin. They just had a baby Jacob, uh, within the last week. So, you know, the running joke is always like how much for a middle name sponsorship, how much for, yeah. 
that that used to be the joke for our daughter Sedona. Um, Chris <laughs> going to sell naming sponsorship for for his little one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, daughter Sedona. Yeah, I've, I've been there absolutely. Yeah, he said you lo- you love the space. That's where my wife and I Lola got married in Sedona back in 2010. Um, gorgeous space, uh, phenomenal. So we kept on talking, and just there's more and more we got in common. Uh, it's a, it's just it's so neat. I love that. Yeah, you and I have. Uh, I don't know. We lived in parallel universes, but we have a lot of. I think what. I think the main commonality is we want to leave a mark on this world and we found live events to be one of the best ways to get people in our orbit so we could be impacted by them and also impact them. So, and I think uh, places like Sedona, the Florida Keys, uh, those are places that uh, are very uh, soulful and spiritual for many different reasons. And obviously you're drawn to a lot of the same places my wife and I are drawn to. So it's kind of funny how that works. Right. Have you been in Florida long then? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been down here since '05, so whatever that is, 12 or 13 years now. It, good time, while. yeah. Last year was the first time I ever had to evacuate. Um, Tampa gets very lucky about dodging hurricanes, oh, but it was okay. it was the first time that I was in a in a seven million people had to evacuate the state, and that's just it's just ins- it was an insane uh, time to live through. Oh, that's and and that's so hard too because. You know, when anytime, you know, when everything was going on in, in Texas and Florida, um, you know, there's there's such a, a gravity and such a, a, a realness where sometimes I feel like sometimes it's easy to to almost think that life's troubles are really our troubles. But, you know, when when a natural disaster comes through, I just, you know, when everyone just for a moment just stop and and lending help and, and praying for the people, obviously, um, you know, it's such a hard time, but it's it's real, you know, it's really real time especially obviously for people walking through that so you guys were safe though yeah i'll tell you something that's really interesting last year i went to a conference in vegas and sunday night we were leaving and uh we were uh, as the plane was leaving i was looking over the vegas strip and i always love to take a picture as the sun sets and the last thing i saw before i kind of passed out uh was the mandalay bay shimmering that was the night the guy uh, shot everybody. And a lot of people, part of the oh, conference I, I was at, uh, I, I was, I'm lucky enough that I, I left uh, a couple hours later it happened. But a lot of the people that were at the conference where we were at, at the Hard Rock, went over to the Mandalay because there's a, a club or something above uh, on the top floors. And it was really surreal waking up and my phone literally at five or six in the morning just buzzing from text messages. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, for them to reach out to me, it had to be really, really bad, that many people. Right. And then later on that month, we had the hurricane. So I have to tell you, um, it was a very surreal time in my life. And then a lot of people had, um, some of my friends that went through both, uh, you know, PTSD from it, from just the, the trauma of it. Oh, I was, of course. I was a little, I was more introspective, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. but it was still, um, like the hurricane, I know it's going to sound crazy. I'm a guy. I would have loved to like know what it feels like. Obviously, yeah. the wife and kids, you want them out of the way. But, sure. But as I far as like, it and get in the eye. Well, you see Anderson Cooper strapped to like the southernmost point and you watch him do it. So that's kind of a, a, a dumb thing that a guy would say. But um, as far as having to leave your house and checking all your relatives, making sure everybody's okay and leaving, uh, we, we hightailed it out to a high point in the state and it got hit harder than Tampa itself. Luckily, we were all okay, but uh, it definitely makes you think about life. It makes you think about uh, how fragile everything is, and it makes you think about like business. Trust me, I'm I'm motivated. I love business. I love building teams. I love building community. Sure. But when all of that is gone, and you're just 
trying to survive something that could literally wipe you off the face of the earth. You have a different perspective on things. And it was, um, for me and any business owner in Florida, you have to make payroll. Like, you know, right. September, you still got to pay your employees. There's no money coming in for September or October because the whole state is rebuilding. So right. it, it also tells you about having to have reserves and be prepared. Luckily, I was okay. I had reserves, but what if I didn't, you know, could have right. wiped me right out. So it just makes you think on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, well, glad, uh, glad you're okay. And, um, and, and the state's recovering real well too. Uh, oh yeah. Florida is booming. Yeah. Switching gears. You, um, you, you've had some, some interesting ways you growing up, you know, I think all of us have, have interesting stories. A big part of, of what the podcast is about here is diving into the brain of someone who's be able to create success, but understanding like the stories that have shaped us and, and, and what's been happening. Um, I understand you, uh, Early on, your dad, uh, he, he, was, he wasn't around much or had he left or he just no, was no, kind of- No, no, my dad was always... around and put it this way. My dad was in the house. He just wasn't present and ah, uh, he would work- Very emotionally absent. Yes, emotionally yeah. absent. I remember being 15 and him saying something to me. And I remember my internal monologue being like, wow, this guy just talked to me. So he's just emotionally absent in his own little world. Right. Um, working uh, 60 hours a week. And then when he wasn't working, he usually was at the uh, horse track. So he was, he was just, yeah, not present, um, which felt a void. And luckily for me, I had a neighbor who was uber present. He was a New York city firefighter mm -hmm. and he would uh, take all the neighbor kids out and he kind of became a uh, surrogate, uh, I guess, father figure, a big brother to me. Sure. And, and was it, uh, was it just you or did you have siblings? I had a brother, but my brother was, um, Maybe he took after my dad. He just keeps himself very quiet. Mm -hmm. I was more um, outgoing, gregarious. If I got up in the morning at six or seven as a kid, I'd run out in the street and I'd be playing outside for like the rest <laughs> of the day. Then wow. I'd come in after school. I remember I would watch Oprah. Um, at the time, <laughs> my, my era was uh, Donahue and Oprah. So there'd be like soap operas before General Phil Hospital, Donahue. which I would not watch. I'd watch either Phil Donahue Wait. running up and down or Oprah. <laughs> so you didn't watch General Hospital? Come on. No, I didn't. My you buddy was a general, Luke and Laura. I was Luke not. Luke and Laura, Scorpio, the whole man. So I, in the eighties, I watched when I was a kid. Right? So I watched my mom. My mom still watches the GH, and and just absolutely, it's it's the one. It's her story. It's her family. That was a main staple thing. in the eighties and nineties. So luckily for me, I I for whatever reason, I'd watch the talk shows. I'd flip on uh, Donahue or Oprah, and then somewhere where Oprah made her transition of finding her, I guess her true path. Then I was pretty much, you know, 90% watching Oprah every day. Wow. Did, uh, did you ever, were you just in, what age are you when you're watching Oprah? This is like 10. My whole childhood, um, man. Um, yeah, probably like 10 all the way through high school. So uh, every day. And what was it that got you? Were you enthralled with like the content or, or were you looking at like what Oprah was doing and creating going, oh, that's like, I want to do that. How early, how young were you when you really started? Well, I kinda people have to realize, yeah, people have to realize Oprah didn't start out the way we know her today. She yeah. would literally have, you know, skinheads and Nazis fighting each other on her stage, just like Geraldo and uh, Donnie. She would have uh, little people battling it out. So she was, uh, at all. yeah, if you go back in the history, in the early years, Oprah would have the same stuff. Somewhere along the way, though, she found her voice and decided to stop competing for the ratings and doing all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around there where she started finding her own voice um, was when I really got encaptured. So it had to be the early 90s. She really started following. And later on, she would do the book club and Super Soul. Sure. She'd have Gary Zukov on. I remember that was one of the first philosophers. People don't realize, but she launched 
uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was the first independent published book to hit a million uh, sales. So she launched a oh, lot wow. of different brands out of there. Dr. Phil, of course, on, I believe, Tuesdays. Yeah, so I'd watch one. it religiously. Yeah. So she would launch all these brands. But for me, it was just um, what got me. I just enjoyed learning from different people's stories and it was, and I trusted her as an individual that she had my, my best interests at heart. So it wasn't like I want to be on TV or anything. Now probably watching that, I probably was like, I could do that or I could do parts of that. Yeah. But I just enjoyed the show. How, how do you think she accomplished that? Because you said something really interesting, you know, that you like trusted her that she had your best interest at heart. She's a TV host, right? Like what do you think it was about her versus, I don't know, anyone else in, in the time? Larry King or something, right? Like, why, why did she get that with you? Well, and I enjoyed Larry King too, but he wasn't, he didn't have the same impact Oprah did. Um, like, yeah. I'll give you an example. Even today, if you listen to, my wife listens to Oprah's podcast. Mm -hmm. If she's interviewing an author, you know Oprah has read through that book, earmarked yeah. it, and tagged it. So when she's asking questions, she's not asking like platitudes, what most people ask, like, Oh, what do you, what's your theory on this or that? She's, yeah. she'll say to you on page 32, you said, yes. Blah, blah, blah. And then she'll say, when I read that, I believe, uh, I look at it this way. Is that how you meant it? Or did you mean it in some other way? Cause I'm curious. Well, that's like, you can't personalize a question better. One, no, very she read real the book. Questions. you know, she, she did the research and you know that she's asking really like, um, soul centered questions, but she also understands that the viewer, she's, she's personalizing it where I could understand it. Yeah. I love that. So how old were you when you started thinking? Cause I know you started off into like some, a lot of multimedia, um, and you know, and again, getting into some film and we'll talk about some of that. Um, but how old were you when you, when you sort of started thinking, Hey, I want to do something in media or I want to do film or, or audio or events. Um, in your teens and your twenties, did you think this was what you were going to do or, or did you think you were going to, um, you know, go be an engineer or something? So I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur because my father had, um, brothers from Greece that were immigrants my whole family, a bunch of immigrants from Greece, yeah. amazing individuals. But I got to see the guy that came to this country with 20 bucks in his pocket, my oh, uncle wow. and becoming yeah. a self-made millionaire. My father on, on the other hand is a engineer. He was the most educated and yet he, that's what I was wondering. Okay. He, he didn't do the best. So uh, I had to ask myself, okay, my uncle who can't write in Greek or English, I've seen this man sign an X for his name on a check is the self-made wow. millionaire. Uh, and I, I would say, well, what's the difference? And you would realize it was the risk, what they did, you know, they were in business. So somewhere around eight or nine, I already knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. So for me, school was, uh, something I was there to learn, but not anything I was, wasn't going to necessarily use it in some kind of job. So I knew that early on. I'd sold my first business. I would sell candy in school at 13. <laughs> at 15, I would um, uh, breed little like baby cockatiels, sell, sell little baby birds. Yeah. And then- uh, But you, you would breed cockatiels? Yeah, cockatiels. And these are the uh, guys with a little mohawk and the orange yeah, yeah, The right? little ones, yeah. yep, you yeah, got we, it right. Yeah, that was my have first a, we had a we had a couple of cockatiels and a parakeet. Man, we actually had. A, did you have a lot of animals, or was it just just birds? 
yeah, 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 tons of animals. Really? Tons. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. At one point, I had five hundred uh, birds. So. Oh, that's that's a lot more. So we had two. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had the family had two, but then I had like this breeding operation in the basement I set up. So oh, the entrepreneurism—you always think big. That being, what, what was the first? What was the first entrepreneur endeavor you could tag and remember? How old were you? Probably um, candy? selling candy. Yeah, so twelve, thirteen. My mom worked at a, a supermarket, so she would get me bubble yum four to a pack so if you bought them in bulk at four uh, for a buck i would sell them a dollar each now i went to a very wealthy high school so like even though it's like, bubble gum they knew it was a quarter each at the supermarket they didn't care it's like so i learned about well, in that get it here and now right you get the <laughs> supply and demand and there wasn't a lot of supply of bubble yum at the high school i would uh, in effect that was kind of like a candy drug dealer i uh i had all these clients <laughs> people loved buying candy for me and then competition showed up because they saw me making money <laughs> yeah so then i had this kid his dad would take him to the price club and right he was, i remember he price was destroying my it was destroying my prices but luckily i learned about customer loyalty some people were loyal to me mm. because of the customer service and they were like i'm not buying his cheap crap so it was i learned a lot and then i learned about regulations <laughs> when i got turned in and the principal called my parents um which they didn't care but they had to act like Oh my God, my son's selling oh, candy. My son's an entrepreneur selling candy. Oh, that's yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, my dad had to act like, you know, oh yeah, this is terrible. And he's like, whatever, just don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just figure it. So, and I think that that's so true in the entrepreneur space that um, like we're always pushing the envelope and, and sometimes I think it gets mistaken from the outside, right? When, when the, the rule abiding engineers, so to speak, of the world look at the entrepreneur, they go, oh, you're breaking the rules. You don't care. Uh, right? Like how, how come you're doing it this way? And, and we'll tend to look at rules and go, well, it's not that I don't care. It's that I want to, like for me, I look at a rule and I always ask myself, why is it in place? Right? Why is it there? Who's it protecting? What's the purpose? And very often I, I can't find a purpose for it. So I'm like, well, I don't really mind. I don't need to get up and stand in line really early because if I get up 10 minutes later, I can still get on the plane. So, so a lot of times in life, I kind of put that plane rule in effect, so to speak. Right? Where I'm like, well, do I need to get up when everyone else does? Or can I go later? Because I already have an assigned seat. Unless I'm on Southwest, that's a different story. But you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, how, do you, how do you look at, at rules? Do you, do you see the way rules are laid out as more like, this is what's happened. This is what's been. And then what do I want to create? And how do I want to do it? Or do you find yourself, I'm sure you don't probably, um, kind of working within what's there and, and, and staying there as much? I guess... My real question is, do you see yourself as a rule breaker or as a rule like mover, shaker, manipulator, mover arounder, so to speak? Yeah, I, I live by the term history favors the bold. So um, mm. if I think what I'm doing is justified and then obviously you have to weigh the consequences. If it's if there's jail time involved, you have to be careful of the rules. But um, if it's what you're talking about, which is pushing the boundaries, I'll, I'll tell you what really irks me. So our personality types are probably very similar because of the choices we've made, but I don't get along well with librarians um, <laughs> because it's the most risk averse human being on the planet. Wow. And I meet a lot of business people and what I've found out about lawyers, because uh, I've, I've helped a lot of people, uh, lawyers will tell you, the small time lawyers will tell you, I can't do that. It's against the rules. Now, lawyers have made so many rules that everything's illegal, basically, if you know the law. Sure. And then I'll meet the lawyer that's making a hundred million a year and they'll tell you, yeah, it's against rules, but I wrote that rule. And then they break the rule anyways. And, well, who's and that's gonna, all law is in the first place, isn't it? Is yeah. every major 
you know, we talk about Ray, uh, Woe versus, sorry, uh, Woe, <laughs> Roe versus Wade, uh, you know, some of these, these classic court cases. And we go, oh, well, that's that rule. That's this rule. And, and sometimes you don't realize, well, that rule is only in place. That law is in place because that was a court case that challenged what wasn't there already. And there was Correct. a new decision constantly. It's law yeah, so is all about new decisions. Pretty much. So you, you, I err on the side of if what I think I'm doing is correct, uh, I'm more on the side of the bold. So for instance, I had a friend that had a drone and I said to him, hey man, fly it downtown, get a video of the city, make something cool. You'll be the first with the drone video. Yeah. And he gave me a hundred reasons why he couldn't. Uh, two months later, a young kid that was 19 that could care less about the rules sure. made the coolest video of our city in, in downtown Tampa. Mm -hmm. And then the mayor shared it on Twitter. The kid's business went through the roof and he actually got accolades. And I, I said to my friend, remember you said it was all illegal and you couldn't do this and this because this and that. I go, well, that kid that just did it, he now has a thriving business based on the fact that the mayor shared his video and thousands of people saw it. And, and, and it wasn't until later, right? It's like when the bold go out and, and create something, it's always, it's always the rules that come in place after the fact and go, hang on, let's look at what people have been doing and then let's figure out how to regulate that, right? Absolutely. So, so yeah, uh, definitely I agree. You can't be uh, sitting back scared to regulate. Now, Not you, if you want to make an impact on this world. Airbnb wouldn't be possible. Uber wouldn't be possible if they waited for regulations. It, these companies wouldn't exist. Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially if they ask the taxi companies at what, what they think they should do. Oh, every, anyone that knows that industry, it's a mini mafia in every city. Oh, so absolutely. They, you know, there's medallions. They don't let competition in. In the smaller cities, it's even worse than the big cities because it's usually three tag, two or three companies that control everything. So it's the democratization of everything. And I'm, I'm, I love those things. But don't forget, when Uber first came out, there was people that argued to me that they're an illegal company and they should be put out of business. Absolutely. And now we, I can't even imagine not having Uber It'd be so terrible. Correct. Right. Uh, yeah. I always say, you know, the fax machine never asked FedEx if they should go into business and, and email never asked the fax machine. And like, that's just how we roll. Right. Um, so, so you, I want, I want to talk about media a little bit. Um, Cause I think something that you've done again, really well is you've, you've been doing this live event production but before that you did a lot of media so you've done um you had a tv show um it went out to like true tv um i i, I was looking i thought that was interesting tell me about this disorder in the court you did um a show the bleeping truth and it, it looked fascinating absolutely cool um but you you how long did you do that show i did that show for two and a half years until we got pulled off the air um, it was a very popular show. 2008? Uh, around that time? or Five, six, seven, something like that. Yeah, okay. around those, those years. It was two or three years. But we uh, created a show called uh, The Bleeping Truth. It was a political debate show. Mm -hmm. And I visualized it. I figured out what it would be. And it was about having polar opposites come to the table and listening to both sides and allowing the viewer to understand where both sides are coming from and form their own opinion. Um, so, you know, we'd have a socialist debate, a, we started Democrat Republican, but it was so garden variety. We, we got bored. So we started right. socialist debating a constitutionalist. Uh, we would debate religion, you know, we'd have, uh, people debating religion. We would debate anything that we thought people would like to hear and learn from. And then I, as the host would listen to both sides and I would just, uh, take it all in. So it was a very interesting show. Do you feel like, was that a reflection of sort of a lot of your attitude of how you wanted to take in the dualities in the world? 
or was that something that straight up was like marketing? Hey, this is something that people want. No, no, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I enjoyed learning from both sides Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about our uh, representative Republic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I learned a lot of little nuances. And when you really uh, study a subject, you, you wind up having a different respect for how things work and why they work, why they were set up the way they were. So I really, um, I really enjoyed that education, but at the same time, I knew that entertainment is what makes people watch. So we had that entertainment value of literally going after society's taboos. Now you're thinking, oh, you know, 0506, that was a very um, forward thinking program for the times. Mm -hmm. Now everything is uh, cartoonish. So look, everything is, uh, the news is almost unbelievable, but it is believable now. So right, but it's all extreme. Pushing the envelope. Yeah, everything's extreme now. But back then, there was nothing to have both viewpoints debate and listen to each other. So it was a really fun show to do. Nice. And what was your, did you have a, a hope or a goal? Like what was the visuals that you talked about? Um, you visualize a ton and, and you're really good at it. And, and it's a funny thing to say someone's really good at it, but then you're the proofs in the pudding, right? You look at the fruit and if I say, I, I, I visualize my goals, my outcomes. Um, I really, really step into what I want to create. But then you look at the track record and say, well, you've actually created most everything you, you've wanted to, you visualized, clearly you're, you're onto something. Um, did you visualize and like, and think about that show like long before you had done it going, I want to do a show like this or, or just, I want to do a show. And then that's what came out. Or was it something a lot, a lot of successful people say they, they kind of stumbled into it in a way where you, you know, you want to do something, but randomly somebody emails you and says, Hey, what about this? And, or I guess faxed you, you know, it was 2005. <laughs> um, was it something you, you really had in your mind and wanted to create or was it a little bit of like luck opportunity meets preparation? Uh, no, it was all in, that one was intentional in 2005, May 14th, my neighbor who was my uh, big brother slash alternate father figure the passed away of massive. Yeah. The firefight passed away of a massive heart attack. He Aww. was never the same after nine 11. He was a New York city dispatcher mm-hmm. and he, um, he had gotten divorced and I always say he died of a broken heart. He was just never the same person after losing a lot of his friends. Uh, he would have weird dreams where he would dream about losing the friends that survived. So it really, um, Changed his, imagine. yeah, changed his dynamic. He, you know, was there helping dig out at the Twin Towers for months on end. So he, um, when he passed away, it was a pivot point in my life. And I, for two weeks, I was crying on and off, which I've never done uh, to that extent. Lost someone that close to me. So you got to be I, you're in your early twenties now at this point, right? At that point, yeah, mid twenties. Yeah, mid twenties. Um, I was, I made a bucket list of what I wanted to do with my life. One of the things, uh, now watching TV as a child. I would always say I could do that. Kind of like what you're saying. That thought was in my head. Like I could do that. I think I could. And I would start programming, programming my TV of what I would do if I uh, ran a TV station. So I would, I would pretend like uh, I could program it. So that obviously is in my hard drive, especially since I was saying that to myself as a child. So yeah. then um, when he passed away, the bucket list was I want to get on TV. But here I am in Tampa Bay. I just moved. I don't know anybody I am in Pasco County, which is not the two counties that make up Tampa Bay. The two main counties really are uh, Hillsborough and Pinellas. Mm -hmm. And my buddy invites me to a house to go meet a Greek Orthodox priest because their kids are going to go play. And he said to me, hey, you better not curse. And then I started yelling at my buddy, what what kind of person do you think I am? He was just doing it to get my goat, obviously. So we get there. Turns out, divine intervention, the priest also wanted to do a TV show. He and I did research. 
I found a show, we found two public accesses. He was a professor at USF. He wrote me a letter of recommendation that I was a fine young man and I was able to get in even though I didn't live in the county. Wow. And I started, the, the priest fell off. He had a lot of, this priest was not just a priest. He was a poet. He was a, a phenomenal intellectual. He, um, so he did his own thing, said, Chris, I wish you luck with your endeavors. And I learned production from the back end and I wanted to produce a show. Then I learned, hey, maybe I could be on the show. And I started a business show, kind of what you and I do, inspiring business people or people to unlock, uh, to be better. And mm -hmm. then the political debate show came out of that only because it was great interviewing, let's say, Matt in the studio. You and I had a great chemistry, but I got no instant feedback from the audience. That's why you like live events. So do I. Right. So we created the bleep and truth because that's a live call-in show. So, and people are upset when you have two people. Oh, debating. So, so I you could get know instant right feedback. away what's going on. Yeah. So that, that's what happened. And um, the two shows took off. Uh, we, we wound up. Uh, so my hopeful outcome was to make the nationals. The visualization was to create a show that would be seen around the world. Yes. So be careful what you ask for. Cause what happened was on my sixth episode of the bleep and truth, one of the guests, the two guests got into a verbal argument. One left a live show, literally ripped his mic off in the last minute of a live show. That is epic. First off, what good <laughs> yeah. TV. And they went behind the lighting grid. If anyone's been in a studio, a true studio, you cannot see past the lighting grid. If yeah. you're in the middle of the lighting grid, your camera people are behind it. Yeah. And he took a chair and literally threw it across the set and threw it at the other guy. Oh my That literally, that, that clip is what went viral uh, and crashed AOL servers back then. Uh, <laughs> and that, that, that put us on the map. So my visualization did become true within six weeks from start to that, that point. Uh, not, not finished because we kept doing the show after, but... Uh, it just goes to show you how powerful visualization could be. Wow. All right. What was, um, what was the content? Was it Republican Democrat? Do you remember? Was that one? It, yeah. Yeah. It, it was so bad. These, it had to be political, right? Yeah. This was the third time they debated each other and they actually flipped their viewpoints to upset each other. So the <laughs> Republican took a Democrat viewpoint and the Democrat took a Republican viewpoint. <laughs> and they were just so stirred up. They just like, didn't, I yeah. don't believe this. So I, I learned a lot from that of where you... <laughs> <laughs> about we don't want it to get hateful so we we wanted to be respectful but 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 feisty so we learned a lot that guy was the guy that threw the chair was banned from the station dang that it actually, man i would have invited him back next week dude <laughs> we mean, were trying to <laughs> ray Danes. you'd be well, so down here before you know it you know what's interesting i watched that show i watched that show and the show up before wasn't good except for the chair obviously it was salacious and then what it did was it forced me to find other pundits and I created a much deeper bullpen and a much better show after that moment. So it's interesting yeah. how things work out. That's fascinating. And then you, so you got distributed like crazy. So like 300 programs, you're all over the place. Yeah. When you get, when that happens and this TV stations play your clip, there's a company that aggregates them and you have to actually buy your own clip if it's played on another show. So I called her up and I said, Hey, it's the bleep the truth. Um, can you tell me how many shows? And she comes back to me, she goes, Oh my God, you're on every affiliate in the country. And I'm like, is that good? She goes, good. That's, you can't ask for a better penetration or whatever. So great. Let me have like the top 10 shows it was on. And it was on Craig Ferguson back in the day, late night. It was oh, wow. on CNN, MSNBC when Tucker Carlson was there, uh, yeah. Fox, everything. It was on everything. And it taught me a couple of things. It taught me one that the media is really contrived because here's this one clip that they all play the same thing. Sure. So like if you're happened to be that one thing, it's great for you. But at the time, I just remember thinking, because we gave them the clip. I delivered it to each station and then they, play, they all play the same thing. So I found that interesting. And it taught me that um, 
you know, my show needed some work because I, I watched it after. I'm like, okay, there's some improvements. And we just oh, wow. kept hammering home. I, I really enjoyed doing that show. It was really a pleasure being part of it. That's amazing. And then, you know, from there, though, you, you've also, you, you got into live event production, obviously. We talked about that. At this point, you've produced, what, like over a thousand live events? Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, honestly, it's probably over 2,000, but the number is so uh, oh, crazy. I try and just keep it down. I think one of my sites Update your down. bio, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2,000 live 2, events. Yeah. That's incredible. So this is everything from, from expos and, and, you know, cons, you know, like whatever kind of a, um, a multi-speaker um, convention type of Expos, cons, workshops, cruises, fishing tournaments. You put on cruises. So much of the World Series of Poker. Yeah, we've done five. Um, the only thing I haven't done, because I really don't, I, I don't enjoy golf. So I've never, you know, people have asked me to do it, but I just didn't do that. Um, but you could imagine, yeah, anything you could imagine, workshop summits success safaris which we've branded which are on-site story-driven tours of places of business for uh, basically field trips for business owners uh, of places that are demonstrable and we go through their PL and they share with us how they work how they operate what budget margins they use for marketing and so wow. on and so forth and you and actually talk called? to the leadership team it's a success safari success safari yeah i might trademark it and then license it per area because that just what's really cool about that. We were trying to hack and you'll appreciate this. So as business owners, you're like, man, these events cost us so much money because of the venue costs and this sure. cost and you're trying to lower. And we're like, how can we create something that would be beneficial for the business owner, beneficial for us and would have no expenses. And we're like, our members keep asking us like if they see Matt and they love Matt, they want to see Matt behind the scenes. Hey. So we're like, yeah, we're, well you have a team, right? People want to yeah. see how your team works. And I said, well, what if we, one of my um, coworkers said, let's call it a success safari. We're like, yes. So we branded it. And then we uh, went to a friend of ours who owns Postcard Mania and mm -hmm. said, hey, what if we brought you 80 prospects, 80 business owners, but in return, you show us how you operate. You show us what you do. You provide the food and drink. The location is your place of business. And then at the end, you could do a light pitch of how you could help business owners, but it has to be educational and give them, you could give them one pitch and it's postcards. Everybody needs it. So all of a sudden the success safari was born. 80 people showed up. She got business out of it. We got people paying 30 bucks a head to be part of this little thing. And we get to build bridges with business owners all over the area. So it was really phenomenal. Wow. What a great, are you still doing that now? Or is that something that's kind yeah. of in the background on the works? I, I do now what I do and you'll appreciate this because um, uh, I have it. Uh, Chris, I like appreciate it. a lot that you do. Well, no, but you'll appreciate <laughs> this from uh, cause I'm busy. So I have to figure out my time, yeah. but let's say there's a local guy that just, he has a blog and his blog has become so big. He has over 200 employees. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll contact them and say, Hey, we'd love to do a success for and bring business people. Technically I want to see how his operation works so I could learn for myself. Right. And as a benefit, I bring 50 people. Now I have more leverage. And, you know, it just helps me in business and it helps my attendees. Everybody wins all around. So now I get to see firsthand because, you know, this when you talk to people's employees and their, uh, what I say, coworkers, they'll tell you the real story. And if they're not happy, whether they say or not, I could see it on their face. So I could really measure the success of the organization and learn as a business owner what to do, what not to do. Wow. I, I love that. So, <laughs> so you're doing success safaris and ultimately I, I keep hearing like you're always you're always just figuring out a new idea. You're always getting out and creating something. Um, when did you get into, what year did you get into like podcasting and you started doing that? Because that's kind of the, the most, I don't know, call it the most recent endeavor or the biggest current thing you're working on right now. That, um, and that's why I'm excited about because I've been diving into this podcast world uh, in 2018. When did you start getting into it? 
August 2013, uh, one of my uh, members said, I'd like to teach podcasting. I said, great, I'll provide you a platform. You could teach it. We had 13 people show up. Light bulb went off, went home, told my wife, hey, I'm starting a podcast. She goes, about what? I go, I don't know. I'm just so excited. I, I was so know. excited. Doing it. So she said, she said, well, I want to do one too. Uh, we were working together at the time. And we had a really great advisor that said, you both can't start a podcast because it'll just, you're doing 150 events a year. It will derail something. So he said, I recommend one of you does a podcast. Uh, my wife wanted to work with business women and we looked at the landscape. There was very, I think there was only one podcast that was active at the time. Sure. So she started Biz Women Rock. I was her, I did her marketing, took it to number one uh, back then. She's built a huge phenomenal business out of the house where she consults with women all over the world, able wow. to raise our daughter. Um, so that, that spurned it and that created the Florida Podcast Association because she needed help. So I, 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 I taught a bunch of other people podcasting. So I said, let's have a monthly meeting where we could all kind of share notes and sure, best yeah. practices. And that turned into PodFast, which now is officially next year, we're saying it's our fifth year, but technically it's our sixth. The first year was like two workshops of 75 people. We didn't call it a conference at the time it wasn't quite a fest it was a, a gathering yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was it was literally a workshop like teaching but those are the people that fueled the growth and they've been with me ever since um so yeah the 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 conference has grown now uh we call it a fest because that was the name that was available but it's it's a full-on conference with uh exhibitors attendees uh, 80 different tracks to learn from so it's it's been a really amazing experience to watch that grow and it gives me um a lot of pleasure because I get to see creatives, which I love working with creatives, create something that inspires people. So I have an exponential impact because each creative is inspiring thousands. So collectively wow. it's millions, you know? Yeah, no, that's insane. And I think, I think sometimes the numbers might get lost uh, in the shuffle when we think about like the world's going so fast right now. But when you said 2013, that's five years ago. And I mean, five years, like if, if you listen to a podcast today that has reviews that go four or five years old, um, like that's a trailblazer. Like five years ago, there just wasn't a lot of podcasting. I mean, it was out there some, but you know, some, some of, uh, you know, Joe Rogan's and, uh, and I, I listened to, you're going to laugh at this, um, or you might appreciate it. I don't know. You're the same age. We'll see. So I listen to a lot of pro wrestling podcasts. I'm a huge WWE fan, like the biggest like wrestling nerd there ever was. And so I, I loved it as a kid. And when my son was born, I had a lot of downtime as I'm hanging out with the baby. And I started watching these kind of documentaries on Netflix. Um, and then for these different wrestlers, I'm like, oh, I remember that, you know, Hulk Hogan or Bret Hart or Macho Man. And, and so I started getting back into it. And anyway, fast forward seven, eight years. And now here I am like a full on nerd. So half my podcasts are business podcasts. Well, maybe a third business, a third ministers and, and church related because we pastor a church. And then the third is all pro wrestling. And five years ago, there was none. But there's a whole industry, a whole niche that no one thought really existed. But some of these top ones, I mean, they're getting you know, a million listeners, uh, two million listeners a month listening just to somebody talk about old pro wrestling stories from the 80s. And it's just shocking to me, I guess. One is how long, how short of a time podcast has really been popular. And two, um, how much audience there is. You know, when you find the thing that you really want to talk about, how much audience there is. So your podcast, well, let, me, let me jump. So you have one podcast, several podcasts? I have five. Um, of course but you I, Yeah. So some of them are, I don't, I produce, I don't do the content, if that makes sense. So sure, for instance, course. we both have little kids. I created the kid-friendly joke of the day. 
I have a, a community that? that creates that for me, uh, hire him to do it. And that that's getting, we just launched a month ago. We're up to 5,000 downloads in and a month. That's huge. No, no SEO. I mean, it's all SEO. No, no marketing. Just put it out there. And what people don't realize is a podcast doesn't have to be an interview show. Uh, it could be, like you said, could be stories. It could be whatever. Uh, you know, I am a big WWFE uh, fan as well. Been you watching a lot of the Andre the Giant yeah, stuff. Like he hated how Macho Man's oil would get on his face. Yeah, <laughs> no baby oil. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been I've been watching a lot of Andre the Giant clips lately because yeah. Did you watch the HBO documentary? No, that's on my list. What people don't understand is the Big Show is a big guy. He lives here in the Tampa Bay area, and I've had yeah. friends see him, and they say he's big. But Andre the Giant was ginormous. He was um, probably twenty five or thirty percent bigger than the Big Show. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Everybody that ever saw Andre says he was a true giant. So sure. I, I would have loved to seen him uh, in his prime. Unfortunately, you know, our, I remember watching it. I remember watching Hulk Hogan body slam Andre the giant and my aunt, the whole world watched it. It was at the Pontiac. So, you know, so yeah. every, I remember watching that on TV and my aunt was like, Oh my God. It just, we all were watching it. We, we, we my whole family, we all, it's we, 1987. We that was the biggest spectacle like in the world just about, you know, I, I remember it well. As a kid, I guess, you know, it's interesting. And this is something I think a lot of us can do when we get into our adulthood. Anything that got frozen, like Jake the Snake, I remember when he sprung the uh, Cobra on the Ultimate Warrior. As a kid, I thought that was real. Now I look back on the clip, you could see There's it's no a rubber. fangs. Yeah. Well, it's a, it was like a rubber snake. Now, the one with Macho Man was real. They just oh, had okay. fangs. I wasn't going to correct you, but yeah, I was thinking the Macho Man one. That yeah, was yeah, two huge. different things, yeah. Yeah. But, so anyways. The, the rope it's burned in my brain with uh, nostalgia and uh, just an amazing thing. Now as an adult, I watch stuff, but like if you were to say, who's the better basketball player, LeBron or MJ, it's different eras, but what's burned in my head was Michael Jordan just burning up every opponent because I was a kid watching that. I'd watch every play. And I was an adult. Yeah, I watch a little bit of basketball. I get into it, but not the same way when you're watching as a kid. So just uh, interesting how we burn things in our brains as little guys. It is, right? And I'm watching too, like, you know, we have some close friends, uh, you know, millennial age friends that are uh, in the church that are early 20s or people in the teens. And for them, it's like, oh, yeah, Michael Jordan is that historical figure, but LeBron is the guy they're going to remember when they're 30 and 40 years old. That's going to be their era greatest all time, right? And how do you compare? It's like in wrestling, you know, you compare who's better, Ric Flair or Nature Boy Buddy Rogers or... um, Bruno San Martino, or is it some guy today, you know, John Cena or whatever. And, and you just, you, you can't compare an old generation to the next generation because they're so different, you know? Yeah. Stone cold. You got all that. So, oh. you know, I'm very fortunate. One of my friends it was an announcer um, for wrestling and he invited me to a dinner that they have here in Tampa with all the retirees. So it was no uh, the rocks dad was there. Um, so was uh, Tunny, all these guys, like they're all legends. Um, who else was there? It was just really cool. And I would ask him, who's this guy? Who's that guy? Because I didn't know all of them. These were like the originals. Yeah. And it was amazing to hear uh, Brian Blair of the Killer Bees. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Brian Blair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, jumping Jim uh, Brunzel. Well, he was, he was a county commissioner here. He was a politician the last couple of years. But he got up there and told some Andre the Giant stories I've never heard before. Wow. Between him driving Andre the Giant and Dusty Rhodes – from uh new orleans up to mississippi for a show and you know the prolific drinking of the giant uh sure. but it was uh really interesting they they were using a boot to uh in the car to help 
with as they were drinking to do stuff. So just a crazy story, but it was cool to be part of it. And I'll never, I thank my friend profusely for allowing me to uh, have a window insight into this quarterly or two, two, three times a year, they all get together and every year they lose one of them and they're, they're, mm. they're just hugging each other. It's a, it, what I really appreciate it. And I think you'll appreciate this because as we get older, they have a camaraderie that's very unique. They've been yes. through a set of experiences that very few people could say they were part of that and they're bonded for life. And it's interesting to be in a room where these guys are hugging each other, um, appreciating each other because they know, you know, they're getting older and, and they're not all going to be around. Yeah. Yeah. No joke. Uh, I say uh, trying to describe people what it is. And I know we're coming close to time. So I want to, uh, I want to get back to you, but, but I mean, seriously, part two is wrestling. <laughs> um, I, uh, my, my appointment for uh cancel, I have a couple extra minutes and then when you have to go, let me know. Outstanding. Oh, that, that, that's, that's great news. I, I try to explain to people what this industry is and, and I have, uh, I, I talk about it at a time. I finally came out of the proverbial uh, wrestling fan closet. Um, and so I'm making it known. And hopefully one day someone's going to listen to this podcast and go, what? Matt Browning's a pro wrestling fan? Let's invite him. So if you're out there and you're listening, uh, trust me, I would love to come out and talk. Um, but, you know, like I have so much respect for the industry because it, to me, it's like it combines the hardship of like stand-up comedy, which is a really challenging industry. That's my second most respected industry. Yep. But it mixes with Cirque du Soleil and live stunts, which is not easy. Mixes with good storytelling in the soap opera element, which also like to tell a good story is not necessarily easy. And, all, and, and improv, it does all of that live improv all on the spot. And it's athletic and it's storytelling. And somehow you have to get in front of 15,000 people and do this and have them get behind it. Um, so the closest I could get being, you know, I'm like five, seven, 150 pounds, the closest I'm going to get to it, I guess I could be a referee, but the next step is to be a workshop leader. So, so I get to come out and I, you know, I, I have theme music. I still see him punks theme music. So I come out to a uh, cult of personality in <laughs> living color. He's got a fight coming up too, right? UFC. Yeah, yeah, he does. UFC is, he's back for the second one. So I'm praying for him. I really hope that it goes. I hope, <laughs> he, I hope. he'll need it. <laughs> well, I, I, I just, man, again, I got so much respect for the guy. I hope he's prepared. I hope he's prepared. Yeah. And he thought he was prepared. And he, I know he trained his butt off for the last fight. And then it was a pretty bad result. But even afterwards, he cut a good promo, you know, and said, hey, man, like, you know, no matter what, just don't let anyone stop you. And so I, I got all respect in the world for him, especially this for for walking out on something that no longer served him. And he wasn't passionate. And he said, time, it's time to end this. And he was, if you don't know him, you know, he's a tremendous professional wrestler. And just said, you know, I, I, the time's come. I'm just frustrated here. I don't like it. And I think in, in business, it's easy to like, sometimes we, we get behind, well, this is what I do. This is who I am. And, and you're a living testament, Chris, that you, what you do is not who you are, whether it's a TV show or whether it's, you know, you produce this cool documentary called The Messengers. Um, and, but you're not like, you're, you're not walking around going, I'm a documentary producer. And the only thing I can ever do is make documentaries. You know, you're going to go where you're called to go. And, I'll, and I'm just curious, but I'll bet if at some point you were supposed to not produce events because you're doing some other thing, if you move to a new season, you probably wouldn't go kicking and screaming. Is that fair to say? No, well, no, I'll tell I you. I do imagine uh, you would never stop doing events. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. There was a point where we, we created the Tampa Bay Business Owners and I had promised myself after I, um, I had, the TV shows got pulled from me, not because of the, the ratings, they were very high, but yeah. because of the controversial nature. And I had a tough time at the time yeah. um, understanding that I wasn't executive producer Chris Kermitzos, but I was Chris Kermitzos. Um, mm. And I promised myself never to allow a label to define who I am. Now, that being said, after That's 10 really years good. of doing uh, the Tampa Bay business owners, I sold the company. 
I had, I did have a problem letting go because what I, and this is a different lesson. I understood I wasn't Chris Kamitzos, the founder of TBBO, Tampa Bay Business Owners, but um, I had an emotional attachment to raising up this little baby into adulthood and entrusting yeah. it with someone else. And unfortunately, or fortunately, a business is not a baby. A business is a business. So right. I should have moved forward. And that's a lesson I learned and I lingered. And what I did was I delayed my future that I was going to live into. And that delay um, kind of uh, made me rudderless for about six months. And my wife one day turned to me and she goes, you're miserable. And she said, uh, I hope you understand that. I, and, and it shocked me because she's the most supportive wife ever. Wow. And I said, tell me about it. She explained what she saw. And then the next day, I literally um, just started moving forward, exploring what future did I want to live into. So now I'm what I I'm more acute than I've ever been. If I'm what I call rudderless, I need to um, take massive action. And it's to the point where I might have the most successful business in the world. If I am not happy, I will either sell it or give it to someone and start something fresh the next day. So that's like to the level. It's a phenomenal uh, lesson. The, the promise I've made myself, but I want to make sure people understand I've, I've been through the psychic pains of not letting go or having my ego attached to a title. But yeah, but, but yeah you're right. I've done so many different projects that um, I don't like being defined by any one of them. I just, I do what, what, you, which, what I'm called to do and then I just pursue it. I love that. Well, with that said, I want to wrap up the kind of last question is um, um, I'm going to be seeing you out in Tampa at, at PodFest. So not to identify you with one event, but if I did uh, one business, um, podcast, PodFest is going to be amazing. Um, if you want to check it out, it's podfest.us. I'm going to have a link in the show notes. And if you're watching this on uh, YouTube or Facebook, uh, it'll be up in the description. We'll have um, a link so you can go check out all Chris's stuff and all your social media links. I'm sure I'll put up there as well. Uh, if you want to follow Chris and learn more about it, um, give us a, a, a quick synopsis, uh, PodFest. You said it's a, it's a conference. There's going to be a ton. You said 80 tracks of learning. So I'm excited about that. So it's going to feel like a, a big kind of a conference feel with exhibitors and breakout rooms and speakers and just uh, different training and teaching? What's the deal? It's got a huge family feel. So it's very collaborative. A lot mm -hmm. of great connectivity comes out of it. We have a lot of um, uh, what I call roundtable networking sessions to connect people oh, throughout great. the entire conference. So we do it in mass where we connect 500 people at once. And I have a, I had an actuary actually figure out an equation for me to do it where they uh, – move the least amount of times, meet the most amount of people, never bump into the same person twice. Yes. So I have all these different formulas we've created, but it's um, not only is, uh, are there exhibitors there that you could talk to, but if you want to learn how to podcast, make money, we even have a YouTube track pre-day, a uh, full day with YouTubers uh, oh, talking wow. about how they do things. I'm going to be going to VidCon this year as an exhibitor to learn more about that entire field, talk to people and find uh, creative. So you know, podfest.us, if you're looking to learn March 7th to 9th, uh, 2019, it'll be our five-year anniversary. So if you're planning on going to an event, I always recommend hitting the anniversary years because we're pulling out all the stops and everybody will be there and it'll be a great place to collaborate and meet people. Awesome. Well, and, um, unless there's a hurricane, I'm going to be there too. Uh, March oh, that's 7th. not hurricane season. We, <laughs> I, I would have a conniption if I planned yeah. it during hurricane season. Nice. We'd be screwed. <laughs> so, uh, so PodFest, March 7th to 9th, 2019 in the, in the Tampa area. Um, that's going to be phenomenal. Can't wait to see you there. In, in Orlando, in Orlando. Oh, sorry, in Orlando, in Orlando. And if I can, um, I'll bring Hulk Hogan out for you. Would you do that? <laughs> I, I want I want to meet Mr. That poor Peter. guy. Listen, that poor guy cannot oh, go not even anywhere go without being recognized. I mean, he is so I saw him once in a, a seminar room 
and Look, it was like the mustache if he just shaved the mustache <laughs> did he? no but if he did yeah it would be odd but with the food and cut the hair the, a little bit the, the, he's got like if you see him in a room of 400 people that guy stands out like it's just just even if he wasn't famous he would stand out it's Absolutely. like a glow the guy was amazing so he's a phenomenal human being but i just i feel for him because you know you talk about lebron and mj yeah. Hulk Hogan is as famous, if not more famous, than those characters because wrestling oh, translates any. to everything. It's transcended the industry for sure, and Hulk Hogan did that. Um, so, but back to you. <laughs> Make sure to check out Poppins.us. I know. We're, we're, I, I want to start a pro wrestling uh, podcast one day, so I'll talk to you about that at Poppins. Let me know. I love that. Um, check out the messengers, a podcast documentary. It's really interesting. It's the only one of its kind. Um, and it's all over what is on iTunes, Amazon, you can Amazon prime, uh, get it free. Uh, and iTunes just, uh, go check it out. Awesome. Yeah. So, so go to iTunes, Amazon prime. It's on there. The messengers, a podcast documentary, um, fascinating look into the people who are, who are bringing an entirely new voice and, and, and industry, really a whole new way to bring information and to change the world. So, um, love that documentary. Uh, love you, my friend. Thank you so much. Great to Thanks, have you on. Brother. All right. Talk to you soon. I want to thank Chris Kermitzos for coming on the podcast. Thank you for being on the pod, brother. That was awesome. Uh, I had so much fun. Again, when we did our interview together on yours, when you came up and when you're on my pod, it was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, I genuinely, genuinely, I, I love these interviews where it's just, I, I, describe, I think I might have said in the interview, I described it like um, one of the comedians that was talking to Jerry Seinfeld said, you know, he's, I think it was Jimmy Fallon. He said, um, he was walking around in a party and he's like, I don't feel like I belong here. And then he saw another comedian in the corner and he was like, oh, comedian. And he like walked over there and like they found each other. And I feel like promoters and, and seminar producers are a little bit the same. You know, it's an interesting breed of person for me, right? We have to be the marketer. We have to be the hype person. And then we also have to be the producer who's putting this, the schedules together and the logistics together and then we're also the expert in the talent. So I have to show up and say, I'm the one who you came to see or listen to. It's a really interesting space to be in. So it was great to meet Chris and just shoot the breeze and, and really talk about life and, and growing up and, and becoming you know, the, these people, these entrepreneurs we are. So I'm sure that you learned something from his origin story and, and what his life was like. Uh, I hope you, there's also some tidbits about live events and what to listen to, what not to listen to. Make sure you check out the show notes. There's links to Chris's social media and you can find out about uh, the Messengers podcast documentary and you can find out about PodFest if you want to attend and hang out. Come hang out with Chris. Come hang out with me. Uh, it'll be uh, again later uh, next year in the spring, but come hang out with us. It'll be a lot of fun. So check out the show notes. Check out Chris and, and hang out, spend some time. And I will see you in a few days on the final episode of the podcast Friday coming at you with an NLP nugget of wisdom. I'm going to be teaching and going through something really fun and cool. If you haven't listened to last nugget of wisdom, it was from last week's episode that uh, landed on Friday. And what I talked about was the journey of entrepreneurship from the beginning, middle and twilight time. And should our goals be hustle and hard work or should it be freedom and lifestyle? or combination and how does it work and what should you do more of and less of at different times. So if you're interested in, in really what entrepreneur lifestyle looks like, that was the discussion that came on the podcast last Friday. So make sure you listen in if you haven't already and I'll see you in a few days. Bye.